This is Meredith. Welcome to the backdrop for Pomona Valley Church. into the scholarship around the passage that we explored together live and add on some layers that are outside the scope of what was in the sermon. We're so glad that you're listening in today as we explore further Acts chapters 10 and 11, where Peter has a vision of a whole bunch of animals descending from heaven and a voice asking him to kill and eat. This ultimately evolves into receiving some guests sent by Cornelius the centurion, who invite Peter back to Cornelius's house. And Peter, shockingly, against everything that would have been customary, accepts the invitation to the home of not only a Gentile, but specifically a Roman centurion Gentile. This passage is fascinating in a whole host of ways, especially because it is one of the first instances after Jesus has ascended to heaven where we see the implications of the gospel affecting social order and religious practice. Groups that would have remained divided find themselves coming together, and God uses the image of a meal to do it. Today on The Backdrop, I want to first explore the role of the table in Peter's vision. And then I want to secondly talk a little bit more about the theology of discernment that intersects with Peter's story. So the first is this role of the table. There's a book called The Social World of Luke Acts, edited by Jerome Neary, who himself wrote a chapter on meals and brings up a couple of important insights related to the passage that we were looking at today. The first is that he talks about how meals served as a map, specifically a map of persons who were belonging to one another, who were of like mind, like values, and like social status. It was also a map, he notes, of places. Everyone sat around the table just so they happened in prominent homes. The locations of meals would differentiate people from one another. Third, he says they're a map of things, the foods, the utensils, everything that is prescribed would have been indicative of the message of the meal. So it's not that you just eat any old thing. In the ancient Near East, in the world of Luke Acts, what you eat, how you eat it, where you eat it, and who you eat it with, all together are an indicator of who's included in some level of society and who's excluded. So for instance, he says, If you consider how Pharisees illustrate the principle that people basically eat with others with whom they share values, then the Pharisees criticize Jesus, who claims to teach a way of holiness for eating with tax collectors and sinners because shared table fellowship implies that Jesus shares their world, not God's world of holiness. And so it's just one instance that we see of how table fellowship, as he puts it, in the world of Luke Acts was very complex and very layered with meaning, and it was defining of certain social realities. He then goes on to talk about how Jesus's life and ministry and the work that's carried on by Jesus's followers is one of new map making, that around meals, we see a new map being made. And so he writes, in the Lucan story, meaning Luke and Acts, 
There's a world upside down. We find meals used as occasions to reverse roles and statuses. He notes that meals are expected to reinforce roles and statuses of members of a certain group, confirming the map of persons which indicate rank and status. But Jesus does exactly the opposite. He upends it all, inverts it all through the meals that he has while he's here on earth. And then, of course, we remember that Peter was at all those meals, watching all of these actions that would have been so loaded as indications that the script had been changed. Now, when it comes time for Peter to discern the meaning of the vision he receives on the roof, we find that he is in a unique situation because he's representing the ways that food and people are actually layered together. Ostensibly, his vision is just of food, and the question is whether or not he should eat it. But as the story reveals, as Peter's own words to Cornelius's guest reveal, Peter understands that the food is also connected to the people that are often labeled unclean, the people who would never be invited to the place of the table to eat the foods of God's chosen people. And so if the food is no longer unclean, the people are no longer unclean either. Again, Nairi writes, the themes of food and people are carefully woven together. In fact, the theme of clean and unclean food symbolizes the issue of clean and unclean people. And so Peter's vision occurs in the context of food, but is not totally about the food at all. He also notes that the importance of this upsetting of old maps is symbolized in the way the vision and conversation happens three times. Repetition in scripture is often a way to emphasize. And so when we see the vision happen on three different occasions, which is also an interesting number for Peter himself, who denied Jesus three times, and then Jesus returns to Peter asking, do you love me three times? Peter seems to have his own significant conversations in threes. But beyond that, Luke would have known as a writer that showing repetition would have added emphasis. There really is a new map where we're not going to be defining who is in as a part of the people of God entirely through the old Jewish ways. One final note on the use of a meal as the image in the vision. Nairi notes how ceremonies, like the ceremony of a meal, strengthen group identity, values, and structures. As we've been in John prior to this, we saw a theme of God creating a new family, a new identity. And so is it any wonder that the image of a meal and of table fellowship and even the practical eating that was very common among the first Christians would have been used by God to form their new identity? It actually makes a lot of sense, not only because of the way that meals bring us together, something that you and I both know, but because of these additional layers in the context of how meals sent messages. And in the practicing of a new way of not just being together, but eating together, a way where those who are often left out are included, a way where those who are often not on the invite list are actually in seats of honor. This would have been incredibly radical, not only to the first people joining as followers of Jesus, but to anybody else who was watching them. 
Now, the last thing I'd like to comment on for this episode of The Backdrop relates to the question of discernment, which was the theme of the sermon that I gave. How do we know it's really God? How do we know that that is what we should do? And Peter has a discernment question in front of him as it relates to the vision. Now, when we were in our time of practice together on Sunday, Leslie made two incredibly important points about discernment. One, that God leads in accordance with God's character. The more we know the character of God, the more we're able to understand what God might be saying to us or inviting us to do, and we can see that those things would be in alignment with each other. The second point she made was that God is truth and God's word is truth, not only as God's spirit speaks to us, but also God's word revealed in scripture, that we would find that the way that God might lead us will align with scripture. Now, of course, she noted that at times it doesn't feel like it aligns with scripture. In fact, Peter would have said that the vision did not align with scripture. And so then there needs to be a process where we wonder, did we interpret it right? Is there something we didn't understand before? And we have to become inquisitive about the text. Thankfully, I don't think that God minds if we inquire of the text, but that would have been part of Peter's process as well, to find out if this vision aligned with God's character and aligned with the truth of God's word as best as Peter could understand it. Now, one thing that I think would factor in for Peter specifically is that Peter ate with Jesus. Jesus was creating new maps in the meals that he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And so when Peter is asked to have a meal with a Gentile and all of the members of a Gentile's house, he would have drawn on these new maps and he would have said, Jesus is God. I can trust the character of Jesus and I can entrust the truth of what Jesus has revealed about our scripture. Similarly, when we have discernment questions in front of us, it's an opportunity to explore and remember the character of God and the truth of scripture. Now, what can be tricky is that we disagree often about the truth of scripture, about the right interpretations or not. And I happen to know certainly that I have very strong biblical convictions about certain issues where other Christians think I am dead wrong and ignoring scripture. I have convictions where other people think that what I say is right and true would fall completely outside the character of God. And so, for instance, if I make this practical, there are a lot of folks who don't think that a woman should be a pastor. And so what they would point to is that God's character is one of order, and therefore God has created roles, and a woman as a pastor falls out of those roles. Now, what I might point to is God's character as one who relentlessly pursues the people that God loves and goes over any barrier or any hurdle to reach that message. And so I would say that God has a character of using all sorts of means to deliver the message of God's love and grace. And so we find ourselves even dialoguing in that case about the attributes of God that inform our discernment. And similarly, we would interpret scripture differently. And I would say I have a very serious mind about the text as I'm going about that, though others would say that I don't. So I'm not denying that it can be an incredibly difficult process. But I do want to make one final theological note about discernment as it relates to the doctrine of original sin, as it's often called. You see, for those who understand original sin to mean that the image of God within us was utterly destroyed by the fall 
as it's sometimes called from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree that they were instructed not to eat from. Well, then, if you believe that original sin has destroyed the image of God within you, it would stand to follow that discernment would involve looking outside of oneself for the Spirit of God to reveal God's will, but that your preferences or opinions or experiences would be entirely untrustworthy because of your own original sin. However, that is not the only way to understand original sin. And Curtis mentioned this a couple episodes back in the backdrop, and I'd like to expand on it a bit here. There is an alternative, which is to believe that because we are created by God, the image of God within us cannot be utterly destroyed, though perhaps it might be damaged or crowded out or quieted. Nevertheless, all people are made by God and they are made in God's own image. That remnant of the image of God would always invite a person towards what is good and true and God's. I believe that this is part of why people who do not yet follow Jesus still at times have senses of what's good or moral or even hear from God before they've come to follow Christ. The other reason, of course, I believe that is that God is much bigger than sometimes these theological boxes make God out to be. But if it is true that the image of God remains within us, despite the force of sin that can also make things complicated, then when it comes to discernment, We have a different understanding of how the Spirit of God and Scripture and our own selves all intersect, because the goodness that God has placed within us can also be trusted as a way to find what God is leading us forward to. I think this would have come to bear for Peter, that it allows Peter to draw on what he knows and has experienced without thinking that he can't trust himself or his own intuition. Instead, he would have probably a holistic understanding of how God has given him insight and intuition and experience along with the vision, along with scripture. Discernment is, of course, always a process, ideally not done alone, ideally done over time. But Peter didn't have the luxury of that. And he made a decision in the end that ultimately indicated that this new map of people, places, and things in the kingdom of God would include the Gentiles and form an entirely new people for the good of the whole world. We're going to wrap things up right there for now. Thank you so much for listening to The Backdrop today. If you're local in Southern California, we'll be together on Sunday at 4.30 for worship and 5.30 for dinner. You're always invited to either or both. We meet in a house as we're getting started, our house, in fact. So if you're listening and need our address, please just email us at pomonavalleychurch at gmail.com. And everything we're doing is over on Instagram, Pomona Valley Church. Have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon.